Okay, hello, welcome once again to another stop on the show mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams. I'm here, of course, with Mr. Lynn Webb. Hey, how, how you doing? Holla at your boy. This is Lynn, the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles, Spain. And tonight, or this evening, or whenever you listen to it, you know, you know, I'm still not used to podcast world. But you know what? I think that our show is the type of show that puts you in that evening mode. Evening mode. Yeah. Okay. Like, right. I, like I could see it would be. Oh, this would be interesting. It would be nice to hear from some of our listeners um, exactly what they are doing. When they're listening to us, that is not a bad idea. So yeah. you know, what are you doing? You know, what time of the day is it? What are you doing? You, you know. So you... so, how about a uh, hashtag listening to the mission? Okay, very nice. Yeah. So very hashtag nice. listening to the mission. What are you doing when you are listening to the Michelle Mission? Very nice. Very what, nice. How do you envision? What do you envision people doing? I, I mean, I know this is probably a softball that I'm supposed to say something crazy, but the people I've talked to, I think they listen to it like you listen to podcasts, like I'm, you know, going back and forth to, to work, work or, or I'm, I'm like on that. the train or, you, you know, something having on in the house. I'm listening to it. So that's what know. I envision. Like I would or, I, you know, butt naked covered with melted butter. I mean, whatever floats your boat. That's Tuesdays. But, uh, <laughs> I would love to hear someone say that. Shout out to Fresh Air. <laughs> I would love to hear someone say that they um, are in their kitchen, like chopping up some vegetables, making their dinner with us on in the sound system. Oh, that's You're like, nice. Like, like coming through the sonos. Right, right. You right, know, right, while right. they're just listening to like, Like, I would, dude, this would, it would blow my mind. If all of a sudden there was like a Sonos commercial and you see somebody just chilling in their like, you know, super fabulous San Francisco loft. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm Vince. This is Lynn. You're on the Michelle mission. Oh, that would, be, that, would, that would be dope. That would be dope. That would, but hello. Oh, sorry. Hello. And uh, on this episode, <laughs> we're going to talk about Girl 6. We're going to talk about Girl 6. uh the Spike Lee film from 1995. Um, 1996. 1996. I'm sorry. This is our final. This is our final film in Black Music Month. As you know, we've been celebrating. Yeah, it went a little over. It went a little over, but you know, it's all right. It's, it's the after party. <laughs> there you go. It's there the you go. I like party. that. It's the after party. You know, and we've been talking about the music in in the filmography of Prince. We. Started out with Purple Rain. We followed that with Under the Cherry Moon. The third stop was Graffiti Bridge. And then we're going to round out this celebration with Girl 6, which is connected to Prince because it has a Prince soundtrack, yes. which was a huge part of the story of Girl 6. Yes, it was. So, you know, getting to Girl 6. Do you have a bit of business? Do you have one clarification? One, um, one uh, thing that I need to correct, a correction, if you will. Okay. So you remember on the when we were talking about in search of Girl Six and I was I went on the rant about how you can't find things mm. and one of the films I mentioned was M- Melinda. Yes. Which is a black version of Carrie. Yes. That everything about that was wrong. 
Oh, really? Melinda is actually like a crime thriller starring um Calvin Lockhart. Like I was I I, I conflated two right. well, I conflated two things. I meant to tell you about Melinda, which just came out on, on um Blu-ray. I've never seen it, but I saw Calvin Lockhart was in, I read the description, and it seemed really cool. What I was thinking about was Abby. Oh. Which is the black version uh, of the Exorcist. Oh, really? So I got confused about one word black versions of movies with scary ass white girls. <laughs> you see what I did there? So, I mean, you see how that it's like Melinda, the, Melinda black version of Carrie, mistake. Abby black version of the exorcist. Both, um, you know, these little, I like, I remember like, God, this is scary ass white girl. <laughs> It's an honest mistake. So it was an honest mistake. It's a very honest but mistake. um hopefully nobody was running out looking for Melinda, the black version <laughs> of Carrie, because it doesn't exist. I ain't say Abby, I said Melinda. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Go back there and get me Melinda. You wanna hear a funny story? I know we gotta get to it, but this is so take your time. Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants, the Stevie Wonder album, mm. was out of print. Not out, Well, no, it was out of print. I think technically it was out of print for years. Okay. Because, you know, if you don't know, Journey Secret Life of Plant is during Stevie Wonder's classic run. But this is like, it, it was is, it was a soundtrack to a documentary. That I did not know. It was a soundtrack to a documentary actually called Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants. And it is mostly instrumental music. Like this great electronic instrumental music, uh, share one you uh, share one you love is on there, right? But um, send one you love, send one you love rather is on there. But it's mostly a curia, out of print for years. Came back into print. My wife bought it for me for my birthday, nice. the year that yeah I got a good wife. The the year that it came out, and got into almost a shouting match with the woman at the record store who tried to tell my wife that it didn't exist, that Stevie Wonder didn't have an album called Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants. Wow. Really? And, and you know. What record store was this? You know, we the, probably don't know. No, no, I actually do know. It was, it was in Baltimore. It's it's one of my favorite record stores on Soundgarden. Mm. I don't know. I hope. Well, that's a whole nother story. Like this was, a, this was an infamous um, clerk at Soundgarden oh, really? and I don't think she's there anymore but I remember like when I saw my wife she was all flustered talking about do you know that fool told me that and I said I know <laughs> anyway hopefully nobody went and yelled at a clerk about I want Melinda the black version of Carrie hopefully they didn't because it doesn't exist this is where I thought you were going though okay where I thought you were going is one of the things that we did talk about on in search of girl six mm-hmm. was about you know how hard it was to get a copy of it yes you know hard being relative yeah yeah uh, yeah. and 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 also one of the things you talked about was we got into this whole like you know thing about criterion collections and everything like this and and the girl six being a movie that is worthy of being some of of collected of a sort or at least you know better appreciate it um it appears that in 2006 there actually was a dvd release of girl six in um for its 10th anniversary through anchor bay entertainment that oh, okay that included with it a making of featurette as well as um very rare behind the scenes footage however there was no additional um 
commentary track or anything like right. that. But it was at least a, a, a more of a, of, of a, a you know a collector's item. Right, right. And I think the making of, of featurette is is on the version we have. Probably like that so. kind of you know. But well, there you go. So it, also, just to complete my complete wrongness of my rant about Melinda the Black Carrie and how it's not on DVD, Abby. Also, build it's actually billed at like parenthetically, it says The Black Exorcist. Wow, came out on DVD in 2007. So, there you go. There you go. It's kind of like when when uh Chuck D in, in Bring the Noise says, uh, most of my heroes don't appear on a stamp. And like since then, like every time I hear that, I'm like, you know what? A great deal of my heroes actually appear on the stamp. They've actually been on so, stamps. So, yes. there you go. There you go. Well, Maybe it's progress. Times have changed. Girl Six. Yeah. In She's Gotta Have It, Jungle Fever and Malcolm X, director Spike Lee got in your face. Now he's gonna get in your ear. You've just reached the hottest live talk line around. Acting is about feelings. The only reason. The only reason I take Somebody's gotta hire me, huh? I hope so. Greatest romantic african-american film ever made directed by me of course <laughs> person we're looking for needs to ooh sexuality you have button your blouse nope nope you walked out on qt the hottest director in hollywood sharon stone spread hollywood. that's the business honey bunch i got to eat and i got to pay my rent i hear this is a place where a girl can make lots of cash you're an actress <laughs> are you acting you're not on stage not in front of the camera i'm girl 39 oh my god i'm gonna explode yeah <laughs> Good. I'm girl 29. So and I look pretty with my long blonde hair and big blue eyes. Don't my feet look pretty? No inhibitions. No taboos. My best features are my big. <laughs> Bitch. You like that, Mr. Joe Schlebachman? Dude. What do you do to your ex? You got that guy crazy. He wants to get back with you. Ooh. Yes. I didn't know you were such a freak. <laughs> I always was. You just never brought it out of mm. Pilot called you from his cockpit. Mm-hmm. Dag, the one who plane's been falling out of the sky left mm. and right. <laughs> Teresa Randall. I'm going to hop on a plane and go to Hollywood and live out my dreams. What are you going to do? You're going to collect autographs and take the next person that moves into my building and make them pay your rent. Spike Lee. Give me no lady. Give me no lady. Isaiah Washington. Ooh, I'm, I'm going to miss you, Judy. Judy. I always did like when you called me that. Jennifer Lewis. Debbie Mazur. Peter Burke. Naomi Campbell. Ron Richard Silver. Quentin Tarantino. John Turturro. With songs by Prince. Girl Six. She's the only thing better than being there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here we are with Girl Six. Simply put. It's Manhattan, New York City, and Judy, also known as Girl Six, is a very is on a very awkward audition with uh, Quentin Tarantino, where he proposes that she um, she may have to do some things in order to get this film role. This kind of degradation that she is not standing for leads Judy to reassess her life where she is in her life 
and what she's doing to make it in the world of acting, which through a series of steps takes her into the world of phone sex as girl six in this uh, 1996 movie directed by Spike Lee with a screenplay by Susan Laurie Parks. Susan Laurie Parks, the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, 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 playwright. Playwright. That's what I'm trying to think. That's the word. Playwright of Top Dog Underdog. Oh, yeah. Which is a phenomenal play. Absolutely. I saw a, a, um, a, a, a performance of it at the Walnut Street Theater a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with Cash Goins and uh, it was directed by Malika Oyetaman who was an, an, an incredible theater director mm-hmm. uh, once here in Philadelphia now living out in Seattle um, this as you noted out Vince is uh, a film that features a print soundtrack which is how we lumped this into this uh, but it's not a it's not a wholly original print soundtrack it's basically some bits and pieces and mm-hmm. b-sides from um, Prince's uh, catalog put into this film which fits with this film because this is very much a to me a hodgepodge of scenes uh, it stars Teresa Randall as Judy girl six Spike Lee as her neighbor Isaiah Washington as her ex-boyfriend uh, Jennifer Lewis as her boss, Lil, mm-hmm. uh, Madonna in a cameo role um, as someone who hires her for a little uh, uh, to do private phone sex at from home. Right. Uh, and then it has some quick, actually quick uh, cameos from some of the people playing um, uh, uh, the guys on the phone, um, including Richard Belzer, um, Michael Imperioli. Yeah, uh, who yeah. has a very horrifying yeah. scene. Oh yeah, um, uh, as kind of like a stalker of a sort, um, and it also has in uh, uh, some of her coworkers. You have uh, Naomi Campbell and a couple of other uh, names, Debbie Mazur, mm-hmm. and a couple of other uh, faces that you'll recognize from '90s and early 2000s cinema. Um, but this film is just it's just a real there's really no energy, no story to this film. It's very telling that in 1996 with this especially considering that you know it's um the writer is Susan Lu- Susan Laurie Parks. This is her first screenplay, however. Yeah. Um and I think it does show. Um I think it, it it's um very much the movie is very much someone trying to find their voice Mm -hmm. and what they what they want to put out there because they don't know whether or not they want this movie to be a comedy it's supposed to be like some kind of commentary on on uh independence of of women it's supposed to be a little bit of a uh thriller or drama um it's all over the place um and unfortunately it does not it it the with it being all over the place you need some one unifying force in there someone who you can anchor this 
the movie on to, which should be in this girl six, Judy. Teresa Randall mm-hmm. and unfortunately she is not up to the challenge because she is very 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 wooden in this movie um, very one note uh, and just really for what for as much as the script is all over the place Teresa Randall is in one place mm. And therefore, doesn't do it. Doesn't ser- even tr- attempt to serve the script at all. Um, and I really, I really was disappointed in her performance. The, the, um, the, 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 the screenplay. I was also disappointed in the, in the cinematography of this. Who was, which was by Malik Hakim Saeed. Yeah. Who yeah. actually um, was Spike's cinematographer on Clockers mm-hmm. as well, but is not, but is relatively new to being Spike's main person. Sure, sure. And I think it shows in this. There's not a. There's not. Um, I don't feel the usual steady hand of of Spike's earlier films. Right. In this one, also it. This film feels like just like. Prince's soundtrack is just B sides, just cobbled together. And if they 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 try and make them fit into the into the the narrative, I guess they, there's some cursory attempt at it. I don't think it ever really does. I think that uh, by that same token, because this is the first film that Spike is directing that he did not write, right? Did not have anything to do with story wise. I think he is pretty much going through the motions directorially. Mm. in this film as well um and there's no type of i mean there there are some attempts at spike isms where like the people you you get the the shots with people talking directly out to the screen right you get the people on the on the um on the on the moving Right, 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 the, right. The moving while they're walking, right, like that crane, like yeah, yeah. like that crane thing. Mm-hmm. You, you get, you get that shot. Um, you get, you get some typical spikely flourishes, but none of the the energy to it, and none of the um, the sophistication. This is it, it's very by the numbers. I think even to the degree that the 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 the, the setting. Of the film, like like just the the whole the whole set design of the, some of the of the offices where they're at and and girl sixes or Judy's apartment, it's just very just there's just nothing there. It's just mm. it's just a very by the numbers movie. Um, that ultimately just totals up to a very, very big disappointment. I really, I truly, truly did not enjoy this film. I disagree with about 70 to 80% of everything you just said. Oh boy, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's a weird movie and I think it's a weird movie in, in sort of like, like, Spike Lee's body of work 
It's very weird. You, you yeah. know, I think, you know, you got the first six that Spike Lee makes. Right. You know, basically, um, you know, she's got to have it. School Days, Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, Malcolm X. Right. And, I mean, that's it right there. Like, that's that's the golden age of Spike Lee, which, you know, sidebar, I'll put Spike Lee's first six up against anybody's first six. Fair enough. Like, you know, one through six. Um. And I'll just go on record like we doing Spike Lee now. Like this is our first real Spike Lee. No, I'm just going. No, no, no. I mean, like, I mean, Chirac. We did Chirac, but I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, we Spike Lee in it now. Okay. I think Do the Right Thing is the finest American film ever made. It's considered one of them. So not one of them. Like I'm not hedging my bets. I'm not okay. the finest American film ever made. Full stop. Okay. So I hold the so you know first six high regard like i was talking about stevie wonder earlier that stevie wonder run in the 70s prince's run up to like diamonds and pearls whatever and in a run of them you get that weird transition period mm-hmm. with crooklyn and clockers mm-hmm. whereas you said um ernest dickerson is no longer his cinematographer that's the name of after a uh, jungle after malcolm x right so you've got that um, he gets a co-writing credit on both of those, but you know, I always kind of went eh, about his co-writing credit on them because um, Joie Lee and his brother, I believe it's pronounced Sinke Lee, co-wrote Crooklyn, and Crooklyn is kind of loosely based on the Lee, the, 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 the family, Lee, the Lee family, and obviously is from the little girl's point of view. So I know who I think really wrote the script right. to Crooklyn, mm-hmm. and Richard Price co-wrote the clockers script with him but it's based on richard price's novel clockers so even that is like okay as you said this is him he's just the director um cinematographer we talked about and i think it's almost like i think the part i disagree with you the most is that it's a by the numbers job by him because i I see him trying to do some stuff like even in the first scene like I feel like there's all this commentary in the script and Spike kind of runs with it on the nature of of power and gender and race in this kind of film world Mm. so you know one of the things one one of the one of the um one of the sort of things that they do in the film is that uh girl six who we find out at the very end her name is Judy which I think is a thing in and of itself. It goes the whole film without naming her. Yes. She imagines herself in these scenarios. And I think that the scenarios that she imagines herself in are very deliberate. So, you know, the first thing and, and, you know, we just did it. So it was heavy on our mind. It's almost, uh, it's almost a, a, a line by line recreation of a scene from Carmen Jones. But that's not the first scene. No, 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 no. I'm saying when she, it's her first, um, imagine. It, that's it, her first it's imagine. her first fantasy. Yes. So you had these three fantasy scenes. Yes. You have the first one from Carmen Jones, and she's Dorothy Dandridge. Yes. Everything that we've talked about with Dorothy Dandridge and how Dorothy Dandridge kind of dealt with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Second scene, she's Pam Greer. Yes, and everything Pam Brown. Greer goes through, and 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 the Foxy Brown scene deviates a whole lot. Yes, from exactly. an actual Foxy Brown film. Most importantly, because Foxy Brown has no agency in her fantasy. Like by the time she gets to the second fantasy, you get to Kung Fu, 
but then the dude comes in kills the people and then he takes her out and the perspective kind of shifts and now he's like the main person third fantasy she's you know kind of this hybrid of Thelma or Bernadette Stannis and um and you know but then they kind of conflate it with the Jeffersons yeah and the same thing where you can't do this stuff so you have these three and they're acknowledged as fantasies you know I imagine myself this yes I would argue that there are two bookends where Spike Lee kind of speaks to film and black film in particular. Mm-hmm. That opening scene where she takes her shirt off and so she's, you know, she's going for the um, An audition. audition and the director tells her to take her shirt off. And then the perspective shifts so that when we see her take her shirt off, we see it through the camera viewer because, yes. you know, they're filming the audition. It's almost shot by shot what happens to Irene Kara at the end of fame okay so got fame on one end then on the other end did you catch did you and it's funny we were doing all this stuff so all the like i like i'm not particularly smart and observant it's just this stuff is on my mind because we just did it did you catch the under the cherry moon at the end yes so you know it's under the cherry moon scene and it's like a shout out to prince Mm -hmm. it's because it's in black and white they're playing sometimes it snows in April, which is from parade. So I feel like Spike Lee and then it's the monologue. So she opens up, you know, they stop her in the audition in the very beginning. So she comes in, she's going to do a monologue and she starts to do her monologue and then they break, you know, they, they, they stop her mm. and then tell her to take off her shirt. But the monologue is Nola Darling's first words from she's gotta have it Mm -hmm. so now spike lee is folding himself into this Mm. and then it ends you know when the film ends and and you know the the same thing happens because she moves to la and the same thing happens and and she gets to finish her monologue and she does the she's gotta have it monologue right and then it's her triumphant moment and she leaves and i just think that spike lee has gotten to this point in his career where it's like, you know, he's made these six films and and he's almost on a grind and he's doing his thing and he's building, he's building, he's building. You've got these two transition films and now Spike Lee is almost like, and I think his, um the body of work bears it out. I feel like Spike Lee tries things so that what you see by as by the numbers, what I see as Spike Lee kind of not having that chip on his shoulder, not chip on his shoulder, but all of these expectations that have been placed on him where, because again, those first six, there's not an, an American filmmaker that has had a first six consistently as good as them. Like, I don't care who you're talking about. There are some hiccups in there. Allen, Lamette, um, Spielberg, Lucas, whoever. You look at their first six, and they have hiccups. Annie Hall is Woody Allen's seventh film. So I feel like Spike Lee is almost liberated and he does this stuff. And I see stuff happening from Spike Lee's perspective. I think you are apologizing for Spike I'm not Lee apologizing Spike at Man. all. The text is right there. Everything I just said about the film itself is not imagined. No, it's there. But okay. What, so, but what is it saying? I think what it's saying, and this is where I am with you, and this is where I say this film is a mixed bag, and it's not like I'm not arguing that this is 
you, you know, like I'm saying, like I would never argue that this is part of Spike Lee's golden era. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, it feels too high. It got a little too cute for me. Like I thought the cameos, you know, Madonna and Quentin Tarantino and, and, you know, and, and um, Haley Berry shows up for a minute. Yeah, that's right. It was a little too cute for me. Like it was a little too kind of Spike Lee's now part of, of, of Hollywood. Well, how much is it? Okay. All right. So, so I didn't like that. The second thing I didn't like, I thought that the film started out and again from the first scene and and, you know just as a point of clarification you have Teresa Randall she's this black actress you have this white male director you have assistant you have huh she has a no no the the director at the end has a black assistant the director at the beginning Quentin Tarantino has a white assistant okay so you have these two white people who are literally objectifying this black woman so that you have that power, you've got that race going on. She moves into this phone sex business. And one of the first things that Jennifer Lewis says during their training is that unless somebody asks, you are white. Right. So now, he, you know, the script injects race into it. And the first couple of, of callers that you see are powerful white men. Mm. So it's like most of the women who work there are of color. Most of the men calling in are white. And it seems like the script is almost trying to say something about the nature of the film industry, the the nature of the phone sex industry. Again, race, power, gender. And then it pulls up. And you get, you you know, you then, and and I think this speaks to what you said about the tone shifts, where, you know, you have the uh, two, you have a couple that calls and they're like, you, you know, if I, you know, I'm just gonna say like a, a stereotypical New York Puerto Rican couple, mm-hmm. and they're kind of arguing back and forth, and that's played as far as. And um, then there's a moment where um, Tom Bird, who's one of these great character actors that shows up in Spike Lee movies, and he calls, and he and Teresa Randall have this kind of funny moment because he's like butt naked playing baseball, and he's a Sultan of SWAT, and it kind of undermines this other kind of interesting thing that I think could have been there with if, if, if Lori Susie Parks had a more assured hand at this moment that I think it could have been more of a through line. And and I agree with you that I think it kind of gets garbled because it pulls up. Well, I wonder how much of that is the screenplay and how much of that is especially now you know as you point out all of the the kind of like uh, flourishes that seem to speak of Spike right I wonder how much of it is Spike taking taking that screenplay and then kind of like putting his own stuff in there I, I think that and is then maybe messing it up and I, thus I, why this the shift the tones don't don't work I think that's I think that's an argument that works I think you you know again it's it's sort of like success has many fathers and failure has none. So you know I think nobody's going to raise their hand and say and certainly if you look at you talk about power dynamics, who has the power in 1996? You know this Susie Laurie Parks has not won a Pulitzer at this point. Yes, yeah, and not, um, just know. to say you remember like the first couple of episodes when I talked about recasting. All, um, recasting um, Easy Rollins mm-hmm. with Jeffrey Wright and Most Def. It's because I saw him in Top Dog Underdog. 
Wow, did you? And I and I said, oh yeah, these dudes, these dudes should be, they should have a TV show every week yeah. where they do stuff. So, but 1996, Top Dog Underdog signed that. Top Dog Underdog. So, I I would buy your argument that there yeah, because that is there because like I say. I hear you for what Spike is trying to inject in there, but mm-hmm. I I w- would be curious as to whether or not um, that's because Spike doesn't have a full uh, I don't want to say understanding doesn't feel one hundred percent comfortable with the screenplay that Susie Laurie Parks has presented. Because right. Susie Laurie Parks, mind you, this is her first screenplay, um, but she is a very challenging writer. Right, right. You know, um, so I could imagine that someone like Spike, who a good writer of his own, but I don't think that he. I don't think. I think there's a, a there is a difference between a Susie Laurie Parks um, script and a Spike Lee script, and certainly with within issues of race and gender certainly so um so i i would imagine that i could certainly see spike you know trying to mix things up and and also to your point maybe by this point trying to like i say maybe it's not so much by the numbers is just trying to inject something in there to maybe creatively wake him up mm-hmm. because he has been just boom 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 and now he you know this he's he's certainly reached a certain point in in his career at this point and it's going where he's not necessarily on cruise control but he has nothing left to prove anymore yeah so yeah, he he's has, just uh, yeah, doing whatever um and now this is something that he didn't even write either so he's like hey you know cuz it's it's cuz a lot of his work was with Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and it, I have to say, the first thing that I noticed when watching yeah. this is a, this big 20th Century Fox coming yeah. up. So I'm like, yeah. whoa, you know, which then speaks to why the Prince music is from pulled right, from right, wherever, right. wherever. Um, it's, but it, it, that in and of itself is, again, the reason why those tones. They shift all over the place. And there are movies that shift all over the place. Chirac shifts all over the place. Right. It does. Um, To a degree, even you could argue that something like uh, Cleopatra Jones shifts all over the place. Um, Claudine has has some shifts in mood, in, 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 in mood and tone to the films. But when those things happen, it's all the more reason to have a very strong and assured actors delivering the scene. Now, see, I think Teresa Randall is wonderful. I think she is a very lovely woman. I I think Teresa Randall was the perfect person for this role. Wow, man. I could not disagree more. I think Teresa Randall is, is sultry. Which is hard to pull off. I think a, a film that is focusing so much on voice mm-hmm. as opposed to, I mean, she's a very beautiful woman, but I think her voice kind of works. I think what you saw as Wooden, I see her as, I mean, again, I'm just looking at the film. Like the whole film is about her trying to get her identity, mm-hmm. like all the wig stuff, 
all the you know the the the, the she gets for a woman that doesn't it supposedly it's like late on her rent and all this other right right stuff. She's got, she got mad wigs she got mad wigs <laughs> and she doesn't wear the same thing twice right like in the same day well you know it's it's still movie people poor it's still movie poor <laughs> so just saying bro you know. just saying if we start down I notice lot, that like you know people who are who act like actual poor people you know, it's movie poor. I just noticed that. I'm saying. Yeah, but um, I like Teresa Randall. I, I like, and I like Teresa Randall in this. I think, I th- I think again, what you see as wooden, I think that was on purpose. Like, if Teresa Randall wasn't a good actress, I would say, oh, well, like if if you said she was wooden, and you know, even something like um, what's the joint she was in with a uh, Wesley Snipes? Sugar Hill, okay. Like, like if you said, well, you know, if I said, oh, well, she was trying to do this in Sugar Hill, and this, or you know, even in the ten, fifteen minutes she was in Malcolm X, mm. like I'd say that. But you know, I, th- I think she did that on purpose because again, she's sort of this blank slate that gets lost until the very end. Well, I think she's, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquees Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, and style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco? That's with your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. I don't think... um Maybe this was maybe this was an actor an actor's choice mm-hmm. of her how she played this role. Then I think, it, and if so, I think she made a very poor choice. Okay, because she is very, very one note mm-hmm. throughout this entire movie, and there are with a movie where the tones are shifting all over the places. Right there are there are times where you could kind of still stay in that character and shift your mode a little bit shift right. your tone a little bit i mean i don't even like i say there's the there's the scene where she is being terrorized mm-hmm. um over the phone right um by one of the callers who seemingly has found out where she lives right right and there is there is a tension to that scene none of it is coming from teresa randall right it's all coming from the person on the phone and to a degree how it's being filmed and even how it's being filmed it's kind of like it takes me out of it because I don't really feel it because it's right. a little bit too kinetic that like, with that tension you need to just be still right? and and just and trust the words and trust the mood of your lighting and your actors mm-hmm. but you can't because she is not giving you anything in that scene there are scenes where she is with um 
Spike Lee that are supposed to be a little yeah. bit more comedic. Yeah. And she is giving you nothing. There yeah. are scenes where she's where she's with um her ex, Isaiah Washington, who I don't know what he's doing in this movie. Yeah. But he, but there are scenes where she's with him and he's trying to be, you know, cuz Isaiah Washington is a very accomplished actor. Absolutely. He's given nothing to work with in this film. Absolutely not. But he's he's doing whatever he can. Yeah. But he's got nobody to mm. all his scenes unfortunately are with T- Teresa Randall and she she is giving him nothing yeah. to w- work off of w- with what little bit she has I actually agree with you about those scenes yeah I mean, but yeah. but that's a lot of the movie man it's not Even a whole, she, it's not a whole lot like I would okay, argue when the rest of the movie the, she's on the phone and yes does she have a sultry voice yes she has a sultry voice does she is she a, a extru- does she a uh, extremely good looking woman so uh, sometimes when you're 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 listening to her um deliver her lines yes she's cool does she make a very very um uh, she's good in the uh, those reenactments mm-hmm. like the 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 first two reenactments where she's um, Carmen Jones right. and she's Foxy Brown, she's very good in them, especially in the Carmen Jones one. Yes. She, looks, she looks like Carmen Jones. Right. Um, and well. the Foxy Brown one, she's kind of cool, but, you know, she's being Foxy Brown. She's being right, like right. the acting of that day. So you're right. not going to say anything about that. But in the scenes where she is on the phone and delivering like her phone sex, yeah, she's got a nice voice. You know, it's coming off. It's, it's coming off, but it really, it's really the guy's readings that are that are building up any anything. Oh, I about. don't agree. I think it's both of them in those nah, scenes. I, I'm telling you, man. She, I would have loved this. I would have loved to have Jennifer Lewis doing some phone sex as opposed to her. But see, here's the thing. That's because Jennifer Lewis is a sexy woman. It wasn't phone sex. I thought that that was that's one of the things that I really enjoyed. The fact that the sex part of it very quickly turns into something else. No, I, so I understand that, you, that. So that you know, that, yes. because that, and it that, really that's is problem. a conversation. And in fact, you said something. The fact that she and Isaiah Washington are so good together in the Carmen Jones fantasy and they're not as good in, you know, quote unquote, real life when, when she's, you know, when they, you know, they had a lunch date and they sort of talk to each other. I, I I looked for it so much. I remember there was, a, you know, Spike Lee has always talked about getting funding and, and getting finance for his movies. And I remember there was a period where he said that it got to the point where he had to be in the movies mm-hmm. because Spike Lee had become like basically his own brand. Right. So like people wouldn't finance the movie unless Spike Lee was it had something in, in it. Yeah. And I feel like Girl Six was one of those movies. Because his character is just sort of sketched. It, it's it's not even a sketch. And I completely agree with you that the scenes with Spike Lee as Jimmy fall flat. Like in, in tone, like you said, it's like it's 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 almost like they wanted this weird asexual relationship. Like it, it's almost like they wanted to 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 sand the edges mm-hmm. off of their and get a version of that Nola Darling Mars Blackman relationship. But what kind of made that relationship kind of be electric is that they were having sex with each other. And so in this, you know, he's like the, 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 the best friend. Yeah. And the Isaiah Washington stuff, 
you know, oh, it's my ex-husband and this and that. But you never really get a real understanding of who he is and what his motivations are. And I did get the feeling like somewhere in the production or the creation of this film from from the, the, the sort of genesis of the film to the execution of the film, the passion was in this other stuff. And I kind of had to get this in here. Mm. And I think that comes through. And, and I agree with you that 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 Teresa Randall's acting is is not on par in those scenes. But I argue that that is more of an indictment of those parts of the movie, because, again, I com I completely disagree. I think she's great in the flashbacks. I think she's great as in Girl Six. Like you talked about stillness. My favorite scene in the movie is when she's at Coney Island waiting for the dude to come and she's just sitting on the bench and realizing that, you know, she didn't got caught up too. Yes. And yes. that is a that is a, a very good scene. You know why? Why? Because she has not, no cause, lines. Because she has no lines. And it's all about the it's all about the cinematography and the music. Her body is acting. And I know that sounds really I, it's She's all, sitting there. Vince. It's all in the body language, That's though. That's all in like, staging. Because he literally you, is sitting there. She's not just sitting there. Like, you see it on her face. She's looking for this dude. I don't think you're giving her enough credit. Okay. So, but I do agree with you on that. Music-wise, what, what are you looking up? We had like a little bit of an argument right there. That was cool. I know. <laughs> I, I just always, you know. That <laughs> was cool. Um... The Prince music. Yes. Yes. I think um all over the place. It's all over the place, but I think it's also interesting how there's a lot of music in there. I, I remember when we were talking about uh, Brown Sugar mm -hmm. and y'all were talking about the soundtrack and, and part of the sound. Who who's who's with this one, Brown Sugar? You have to forgive me. I oh, forget who are. Uh, that was uh, was uh Charmel. Charmel, right, and you and Charmel were talking about some of the songs on the soundtrack. Or some of the songs in the movie weren't on the soundtrack. And I noticed that in this, like there were a couple of B-sides that were played like 17 days in, in, in a lot of B-sides. How come you don't call me more? And they weren't on the soundtrack. And the interesting thing was he had released the B-sides a couple of years earlier. So people kind of had them. But what I do remember that was on this soundtrack that I was, you know, as, as somebody who was looking for the print stuff and and you know we talked about a little bit how you know stuff was not readily available and so much music that that came out didn't make it to cd you know this was when um things sort of went from cassette to cd and there were some things that never made it to cd and one of the things that didn't make it was um was um vanity six and you know nobody really is listening to vanity six a lot but people wanted to hear um nasty girl and and you know what else is on here screams of passion yeah so you know the family song the the the, the group the family right and so i do remember that there was a bit of that with the soundtrack like oh well this is now going to be on cd so now you can get that 
and then you have this beautiful pristine copy but you know what even that that's the saving grace no 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 i think that speaks to or, or at least i kind of folded that into my critique that spike lee is now part of the establishment like he can get a print soundtrack like you know like like who else got a print soundtrack besides girl six and it's not even a fair question because we've talked about everything that had a print soundtrack besides girl six and those are prince movies well, the oh and, and batman batman right so so it's like a prince movie or the biggest thing at this point ever and a spike lee movie yeah but but again this is a Prince soundtrack, but it's it's cobbled together. It's not like Prince saw this movie and created was inspired by this movie in his music. True, they pulled music to kind of fit scenes or just throw throw in there. Do you think other movies didn't want to use old Prince music? No, okay, I hear you on that, but um, I don't know, I. It's it's kind of cool to hear some of the music. Some of the music is like uh, I could really do without that in the scene right now. Right, um, right. Because there's because again because it is pulled from different stages in Prince's career. Some mm-hmm. of the music is has a dated sound to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is 1996, and some of this music was pulled from 1992. Well, well, the funny thing is, I think the most dated thing on the soundtrack is the new song. Girl Six. Yes. So. Yeah. With it's like faux scratching and all right, that right. type of stuff. As we talked about in uh, Graffiti Bridge, Prince liked the hip rap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely one of the most dated things. Um, that scene, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the scene you were talking about at Coney Island, which yes. again is a beautiful scene. I'm not yes. knocking it. One of the more beautiful scenes. In Shout out movie. to the cinematographer. Um, I just forgot his name. Uh, Malik uh, Hakeem Saeed. Yes. Um, great job there. He does a great yeah. job there. Is the I think, is the song that's playing there, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore? Yes. Yeah. See, and it, it that is, okay, that's probably my favorite scene in this in this movie too. Except, you know, yeah, that probably is my favorite scene in this movie. I was going to say the um, recreation of the of the scene from Graffiti Bridge, but that's more Carmen Jones. No, I do like that. Okay, but I was going to say the, the from Graffiti, um, not Graffiti Bridge, Under the Cherry Moon. From Under the Cherry Moon, because it was very striking in its black and white. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that in black and white, even though I knew that that was like a fantasy element, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that wished the second I saw that, wow, I wish this movie was in black and white. Because that's how good it looked. Right, right, right. And um, and Teresa La- Teresa Randall can wear a dress. I'll, yes. I'll give you. I'll give you that. Yes. Um, and she wore that. Um, but but no, that scene at Coney Island was easily the most um, the most effective scene. And and maybe I am not doing her justice in the acting that she shows on her face, um, in that scene. Uh, so I I acquiesce there but I still say that that notwithstanding she is um, she just did not impress me at all in this in this movie and it really made me it made me want to go and look 
up more Teresa Randall's stuff because to be honest, while you, when you mentioned that she was in Malcolm X, I had totally forgotten that she was in Malcolm X. Yeah. And the only other film that I like can call to my mind Teresa Randall is Space Jam. <laughs> That's right. She plays his wife. She plays his wife. She who, his from wife. what I understand, I believe the two of them didn't get along during that film. I I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, is it, are you are you are you one of them Space Jam people? What that I like Space Jam, or like you like like you know you ever run into people who are like like not obsessed with Space Jam, but like know a lot about Space Jam. Oh, I'm not one of them. Like, are you one of those people? No, I'm just a movie person. Okay, so all right, I, all right, I, right, I right. That. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that they didn't get along. But yeah, and, and I could be misremembering right. that. But I, I, I forgot she was in Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> nice pull. That, but but no, I'm serious. That's the right, only right, other right. Teresa Randall thing that readily comes to my right, mind. Right. I mean, she was pretty much the the co lead in Sugar Hill. True, and yeah. but I, I honestly, and I loved her in Sugar Hill. I saw Sugar Hill when it came out. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it, I it's, like, it's, it's uh, very much one of them period movies. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I but think you I, know, I've seen this before. Right, right, right. Um, uh, but I liked her in in Malcolm X. The few, like, she wasn't in Malcolm X a long time, mm. but but I thought her scene. She's like early in Malcolm. X. She's very early. She's okay. when he's still um, red, red, and when he um, converts, he walks past her, and she's become a. It's very sad, and she becomes a prostitute. Oh yeah, I t- see. It. I have to see that again because yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I, I'm just not seeing her face, but yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Is that all you were going to say about Teresa Randall? I thought you. <laughs> I, I, I honestly have nothing else to say about Teresa Randall. <laughs> Teresa, I, mean, I have nothing against Teresa Randall. Right, right. I just did not. You know, the other thing movie. about the film, and, and again, I, I am sort of thinking of, like, I think about Spike Lee in totality, as you can tell. Like, I'm always thinking about all the moving You're pieces. Thinking about Spike Lee. And, and, and the moving pieces of Spike Lee. I think that there are. There are actors at that point that kind of it's like he kind of pulls from this troop of actors Mm -hmm. like these are Spike Lee's actors. And I think, again, Malcolm X is the end of this era where he starts to transition. And, you know, you talked about Tom Ford and not Tom Ford, um, Tom Bird. And Tom Bird is, you you know, he's in this. He's in Clockers Mm -hmm. and he's in Get on the Bus. Isaiah Washington is in this and he's in clockers. Right. And then, you know, Teresa Randall kind of pops up here and there. But you know, you're John Turturro's, you're Giancarlo. Who's in this movie. Right, but but for one scene. Yeah. And and again, talking about tone. Yeah, which is, because he looks ridiculous. Yeah, in his Beethoven way. Right. So so you know, but but the the Spike Lee actors. Yeah. You know, again, you're John Turturro's, you're Sam Jackson's, you're you're you're, you're Denzel Washington's, mm-hmm. you're um, you know, you're Spike Lee's actor, you're Wesley Snipes to a certain degree. His sister, his sister. You you know, I I think a lot of them had gotten to the point. You know, you're Giancarlo Esposito's. Did I say Giancarlo Esposito. You did not, but yeah. You, you know, you're Giancarlo Esposito's. Bill Nunn. You're Bill Nunn's. I think many of them had moved on. Moved away or blown up. 
Certainly so, in Denzel. Yeah, well, I mean, again, think about who I Denzel, Wesley Snipes, um, um, who does Giancarlo? Well, Giancarlo. He didn't, he didn't grow. He didn't blow up. Right. He didn't blow up, but he certainly got other opportunities. Yeah. By now, he's on TV. Right. Right. Or or just a working actor. Like yeah. he's just a dude, a working actor, and it's almost. It's almost like a rebuilding period. Like I feel like a Spike in, and I you think you kind of like a Spike Lee movie traditionally feels like a Spike Lee movie. And you think about what is it about it that makes it feel like a Spike Lee movie. And you know, we talked about Ernest Dickerson and the work that he did as a cinematographer. Uh you you know, Spike Lee as a writer director. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how much of a score there is. To yeah, this. it's not. It's not really because you, you know it's, if it, if there's any, it's very light. Right, it's, it's just heavy it's, print. It's just heavy print. So so you know you don't even have that kind of Terrence Blanchard kind of aural sheen that you get to the Spike Lee movies. That yeah. you know it feels like a Spike Lee movie. And you know, let me. You know, you said we had to argue. Let me just. This a lot of this is academic. Like I think this movie is more interesting than good. Mm-hmm. If if that's sort of a thing, a thing you could say, and certainly it's more interesting and good within the context, yes, of what came in before totality and after. and what comes after. Because uh, you know, again, we talked about this with Chirac. I, I do think you kind of look at at these films, and I think Spike Lee kind of gets a second wind. Like, you know, you start talking about a summer of Sam or he got game or, you know, get on the bus where I think these are good movies. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so I am. Um, I'm not going to say I grant him this because, you know, who, who the hell am I to grant somebody something? But I, I think there's enough interesting going on in this movie that. I remember being disappointed when I saw it. Let me say that. Like what you just said about being disappointed. Mm-hmm. I remember in 1996 being disappointed mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite articulate why. Mm-hmm. And I think what it was is that even more so than sort of the 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 tonal issues and 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 the plot stuff is that it didn't feel like I thought a Spike Lee movie should feel. And I don't know if that's a, I don't know how fair it is to judge someone by that. Like, I'm not saying it isn't because I do think a lot of directors, and and we've talked about this before, you know, I think, you you know, like kind of the way that I say, oh, this is a master at work is that his voice or her voice comes through Mm -hmm. so that I can point to it and say, oh, well, you know, that's um, Ava DuVernay and that's, you know, Cassie Lemons. Like you look at, caveman's valentine which is like a million times different <laughs> than um eve's bayou but there are scenes in in where it's like oh that's see her touch i see her touch and i don't i don't know like i said i think it's a an interesting movie i think it's an interesting movie and i don't like like i don't even know what i'm saying right now like i don't even know i don't either. i don't know if i'm defending it or I'm trying, like, I feel like I'm trying not, I'm trying not to come across like I'm contradicting you because I don't think in my heart I am. I just think 
it's more interesting than not. Like I think I'm more able to eat the meat and leave the bone. Mm. Maybe. Mm. Where I would just leave, push the plate to the side. Right, right, right. None yeah. none for me. I'll just take this bowl of cereal. You just take this bowl of cereal. Like, you know, the T bone, the fat isn't seared enough. So Lynn pushes it away completely. It's nasty. So I but whereas I'll eat and just cut that little little side off and push it away. I want to talk about one person. I want to talk about Jennifer Lewis for just a quick second. Absolutely. Another another great, you know, phenomenal yeah. actress. Um uh I'll be honest, she she has currently you see her on Blackish, the TV show Blackish. Yes. Um I could do without her on Blackish. Really? Yes. Only because I love her. Only on because Black-ish. and I, see, I love Black and I love Blackish. No, I love her on Blackish. The reason why I could do without her on Blackish is because I feel that there's a little bit of a stereotype to her role on there. I think it's subversive. I think she's playing. I think she's playing that. Well, I just I I I guess I I guess I would I would love to just see the family dynamic being the family dynamic. Why do we have to have the grands sure. in there? We're we're having the Dave Chappelle. We're having the Dave Chappelle um debate you, right here. Like, are they laughing at me? Or are they laughing with me? And yeah. I, where I see subversion, you just see okay. Yeah. So uh, so, but that notwithstanding. Hmm. Um. I do love me some Jennifer Lewis. She's the best. She is. She's, she's the funny. best. She is. Um, she's sexy. She, that woman. Yeah. Has been. She She just don't stop being sexy. I think that's why she hasn't. I mean, quite honestly, and, and kind of just to come back to the movie, too, and the tonal things. I think that's part of the reason she's not as big as you and I think she should be. I, I think. I don't think Hollywood knows what to do, with, do yeah. with a black actress like this. Yeah. You know, where she's funny and she's sexy and she's smart. Like like you kinda you kinda sorta have to pick. Mm-hmm. And and you know, it's it's sort of like the girl six. And and I think about even the um the um the packaging of it. Yeah. Where we're like and, and you know, we talked about it with Chirac, and I think this is something that has kind of haunted Spike Lee or Spike Lee has had to kind of grapple with where it's almost like Hollywood doesn't just want a serious black film or a serious thing. Like it's always this kind of tension where it has to be jokes. So like if you look at the packaging of Girl 6 and really a lot of Spike Lee films, it, it, they, they resemble the packaging of School Days. Where, you know, you have the one person in the middle and then you have the players around them kind of, you know, doing these exaggerated hand poses. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what the movie is. A lot of times his stuff gets packaged like this. And and I think Jennifer Lewis is a perfect example. Like Jennifer Lewis is not really supposed to be a quote unquote funny character in this movie. No. Like she tells a joke when they're training. But and and that's you know I talked about that earlier. That's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Like I, I wish they would have leaned in on that, talking about the sort of p- 
power dynamic that's sort of baked in to this type of phone sex thing. And, and you know, not for nothing, I think um, in some ways this film ages well because these issues of sort of power and voyeurism and, and, and you know, and, and objectification specifically of women – you, people write about this now when we talk about you know webcam girls and 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 the nature of pornography on the internet and you know there are all these think pieces about what does it mean to you know and and, and who gets the most porn and what is you know like of, of course the the places in the country that get the most porn are the places that are the most um puritanical on paper and what does all this mean and i feel like there are moments in this film including that scene mm-hmm. where Jennifer Lewis is training them where you you get you you get a peek at that yeah yeah i i, I can feel on that and you know like you said Jennifer Lewis is she shines every time she's on the screen and i wish she was the biggest star in the world she's yet yeah, she's on my list of people that i'm like why is she not a bigger star she did a production in 2010. I'm, I was reading up on her. She did a production in 2010 of uh, Hello Dolly. Wow! In Seattle, I would I would love to see that. I could imagine her killing that. Oh yeah, I can imagine her on stage, uh, just killing the hell out of that. I just wanted to. I just wanted to give her um, give her some praise. A woman that really got her shine a little bit later in life. Really, mm-hmm. when you think about it, especially in the movies, you know, her first movie is like in 1988. Yeah. You know? uh, this is a woman that's in, in her 50s. What was the movie that it was either? I think it was a movie where she played a singer, an older singer who was trying to come back mm. or, or kind of get her career back. And it has got like a name like, you know, Welcome Back Jackie Brown or like like something like that. And I know you're looking at it right now. If you don't see it in the next couple of seconds at school like maybe 10 15 it may have been in the 90s maybe in the 90s yeah like welcome back jackie brown or uh let's see well let's 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 run through let's yeah let's run through the 90s let's show her some love because yeah. she's been doing work since beaches red heat sister act frozen assets poetic justice she was a meteor man get out of here there's uh, a movie. Yeah. She uh That's play- a strange movie. She uh played Tina um Tina Turner's mother and what's love got to do with it. Uh Undercover Blues, she was in Sister Act Two, Renaissance Man, Karina Karina. Uh, oh Lord. She, she been in a bunch, bunch of Panther, Dead Presidents, The Preacher's Wife, The Temptations, a lot of T V stuff. Myster- she was a mystery man? Oh, that's right. She was Lucille. She was um she was uh, William H. Macy's uh, wife. Okay. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 man. You don't see it? Jackie's, Jackie's back. Jackie's back. She's playing Jackie Washington. Was that a film or was that a TV show? Uh, Jackie's back was a 1999 television film. Yes. Directed by Robert Townsend uh, that premiered on, so Life, on Lifetime. funny. Jackie's back. If you a mockumentary. Ever, if you ever get a chance... To see, and I have no idea where you would be or how you would see Jackie's back, but Jackie's back. I wanted that to become a show or an ongoing because she's so good in it. Yeah. So yeah, Jennifer Lewis. A, a mockumentary. Yeah, that sounds yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it's available. Jackie's back with Jennifer Lewis, Tom Arnold. Um, maybe I'll order that with. It's um, available Ab- on with Amazon. Abby. I'll order it with Abby. 
There you go. We'll, we'll watch Jackie's back, and then we'll watch Abby. Oh, Jennifer Lewis and Tim Curry, though. That sounds good. Which is the Black Exorcist. You know who else is in Abby? Jackie's back is not the Black Exorcist. You know Let's who else is, this you know who else is in up. Abby? William Marshall. Really? Blackula himself. He plays the priest. Wow. A uh, mockumentary featuring the comeback of a forgotten se- it's, 70s it, sex kitten. It's it's very good stuff. Jackie's Back, directed by Robert Townsend. Yeah. Available on Amazon. So go on Amazon and get on. Show Jennifer Jennifer Lewis some love. There you go. Mm. Her sexy mouth. I had to go there. Oh, Lord. You <laughs> see? I had to go there. Try, try and keep it classy. I did keep it classy. So, Girl 6, what's your verdict? Um, next. So nothing from there's nothing from Girl Six. There's no, nothing. There's no reason to see Girl Six. Oh, I completely. Disagree. Now, if you want to go buy the soundtrack so that you can hear a couple of those Prince songs that aren't on CD very well, but it's really only what it's the family song and Nasty Girl, Nasty Girl that's not not on CD. Everybody, you've gone this long without Nasty Girl or the family. I think you're fine. So just go find Prince's B sides. Um, the hits and the B-sides compilation that you can find in a, a whole lot of record yeah. stores right and now. And that's the one. And you'll get all of these songs. Um, there is no... Did I say the Screams of Passion? I said the yeah, Screams of Passion. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's nothing on, on... There's no reason to watch this movie. I think it's an interesting movie. I think it's an interesting movie. I, I think it is... Um, it, it's kind of like we talked about this with... Um, with um shit big words mm. and and i talked about the de la soul thing when in on there on stakes is high which was just the anniversary of stakes is high about 20th anniversary of stakes is high a couple of days ago where where i where you know the whole album is um you know when i first heard criminal mind and they talk about it, and then at the end a kid says when i first heard st- three feet high and rising. rising i love i love when these artists sort of accept the mantle of who they are. Mm. Like now I am one of these people. And I love the fact that her sort of talisman and her rallying cry of being a complicated black actress and I'm not just going to be judged by my body is Nola Darling's first monologue from She's Gotta Have It. Like I love the fact that Spike, and again, I see this as a shift in Spike Lee's career where he kind of again I'm not on my grind like I was I'm not trying to carve out like I have a space and I think what makes it so ironic is that when when you have this sort of declaration of of my spaceness Mm -hmm. very little about the film feels like what he used to make this space so, you know, we talk about cast, talk about the cinematography, talk about the music. So that it is this weird kind of thing, you, you know. Um, you know, I like Teresa Randall in it. I like Teresa Randall. And I like the, the little sparks of of this other stuff that goes on. So I would say, um, you know. If you're watching Spike Lee, <laughs> like if I'm like if I'm teaching a Spike Lee class, it probably wouldn't be in the on the syllabus. But, you know, I would say it would be suggested reading. 
Suggested reading. There suggested you go. Reading. Suggested reading. If you're teaching, you know, film 307, the work of Spike Lee, and you'd have the Spike Lee movies on the syllabus, and then you say suggested reading. So to be a completist, you should watch Girl Six. No, no, to be a completist, you would watch uh Chirac or Red Hook Summer. You think this is better than Chirac? I absolutely do. I don't think this is better than Chirac. Oh, you're get the you don't think this is better than Chirac? No, I don't. Oh, you're bugging. No, I don't. You're, now you're just now you're just being obstinate. I'm not being obstinate. You are. I don't think this is better than Chirac. How is this not? I don't think this is better than Chirac. Chirac is all over the place, but Chirac, at least I I believe Chirac Chirac is trying to get to a point, and eventually you are bugging. Eventually, right you know, they go a long way and a weird way of getting there. Get to that point. I think that this film wants to get to gets to a point, but there's so many other things in the way, whether it be Susie Laurie Park's um, screenplay or Spike Lee's uh, direction or the co-mingling of the two not making a, a happy home, that it doesn't really get there. I'm sorry. I think Chirac is a much better movie. And I don't think Chirac is a great movie, but oh, Chirac is are, better than this. You are. I, I completely disagree. Well, then. So there you go. There you, there, go. there you go. We'll stand on that. We'll stand on that. We there completely you disagree. There you go. <laughs> but like, you be the judge. Go check out um, Girl 6. Go find it. And um, you can go watch uh, Girl 6 and let us know what you thought of uh, Girl 6. And speaking of big words, while you're um, out and about or you're waiting for Girl 6 to be delivered to your home, why don't you take a moment and check out on uh, TNT their new series, Animal Kingdom. Um, which features friend of the show, friend of the show, Mr. Dorian Missick. Very nice. Yes, uh, very nice. Plays like a, I think he's playing like a police officer in the in the show. I've only seen like the first which three is episodes. Awesome. You know my favorite kind of black actor, what a, a working a one. Work. Amen. <laughs> so you know, good, <laughs> very nice. Yeah. Kudos. So go check that out. Animal Kingdom on uh, TNT. It's All a right. it's a very cool show. It's kind of got like a. Um, a Sons of Anarchy type of vibe to it. Okay, so right. it's, it's pretty nice. cool. It's pretty cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got to get out of here. But next week we will have a very special guest as we present one of the, dare I say, essentials. Oh yeah, of black cinema. Of cinema, I would say. Yeah, or American cinema. Most I certainly. like to say American cinema because you know I do think, you know, yeah, our that's, stuff that's, is that, very unique. That's fair. Uh, it's. Uh, our next stop on the Michelle Mission, Eve's Bayou. Oh, yeah. You'll want to check that out with our very special guest, uh, Dr. Michelle Prettyman Beverly. Yes. It's going to be real cool. It is going to be cool. It's going to be very cool, actually. And that'll be coming your way next week right here on the Michelle Mission, where you, which you can listen to every week on michellemission.com or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and it in any place in any every place that good podcasts be if you want to leave us drop us a line you can email us at michellemission at gmail.com or you can hit us up on twitter at mission michelle or find and like us on facebook at the michelle mission for vince this is len and parting we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again
Now it's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>